Good morning again. I'm Jake, if you don't know me, the youth director here, Spring Run. And last week, Brian started a new series for us, new sermon series in Proverbs. Um, We're going to be teaching through that for the rest of the summer. And uh, Proverbs is a book of the Bible. Um, It's a very practical book. Um, And it's a, a book about wisdom and folly. That's what it's about. Wisdom and folly, wisdom and foolishness. Um, And at any given moment in life, Proverbs 1, which Brian talked to us about last week, shows us that at any given moment, there's two things pulling on you, wisdom and folly. They're both calling out to you. And essentially, what it says is that folly or foolishness leads to self-destruction. It implodes your life. It doesn't just lead to bad things in other people's lives. It actually says when you lie in wait for somebody's blood, you're lying in wait for your own blood. And so it's self-destructive. And wisdom is not self-destructive. It actually leads to flourishing. And so, and really Proverbs 1 shows this in a way that you can't help but think when you read Proverbs 1, only a fool would want to be foolish. Like, you got to be really dumb to want to be foolish, right? Um, and, and generally speaking, I, I think that's true. Most of us, generally speaking, want to live a life that is not self-destructive, that leads to flourishing. And even when we in our minds are completely turned around and everybody in your life would say, you're being really foolish right now. But in your mind, you're thinking, no, what I'm doing is going to lead to the maximum flourishing in my life. Maximum, if I'm, I'm doing the wise thing. It, it, that's the narrative you're telling yourself, even if everyone knows you're being foolish. And so that tells us that when it comes to wisdom, we have a pretty obvious problem. And that problem is how do you know what's wise? How do you know if you're living a wise life or a foolish life? How could you know? How can you be sure? How can you know if you're living a flourishing life or a self-destructive life? In other words, how do you get wisdom? How do you get it? How do you have it? And that's what Proverbs 2 is about. And so that's what we're going to read together. And we're going to see, essentially, that you and I are incapable of finding wisdom. We can't find it. But that real wisdom comes through a relationship with God. So we're going to talk about what wisdom is, what wisdom does, and how to get wisdom. So let me read our passage. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil for men of perverted, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Lord God, I ask that you would bless the teaching of your word and our understanding of your scripture. Would you make, would you give us wisdom? And God, would we value it and pursue it? Uh, We love you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. 
So before I tell you and we describe what Proverbs 2 has to say about finding wisdom, we need to kind of get grounded on what wisdom is. What does the Bible mean when it talks about wisdom or understanding or knowledge? And I'll begin by saying this. I have a friend, and a lot of you will probably be able to relate with this. Uh, I have a friend who is not a Christian, is not following Jesus, and yet he is very bright. He's much smarter than me, and he's had a lot of unique life experiences. And so he has really thoughtful opinions about life, about relationships, about the world and how it works. He's a wise person, and I would go to him to ask questions about things, and I would be very interested to know what he says because he has a genuine kind of wisdom. And many of you probably know somebody like this, someone who's not walking with the Lord, but who you would ask their opinion about certain things because you trust their knowledge, you trust their experience. And the fact that someone's not a Christian doesn't mean that they can't have some level of wisdom, that they can't actually be a wise person and someone who has things that you should consult with. And so why is that? I mean, why is there a whole book in the Bible about wisdom if there's lots of people who aren't Christians who have wisdom on their own, who have never read the book of Proverbs? What's going on there? Um, The reason that anybody can be wise, that anybody could have wisdom, is what theologians call common grace, which is simply a way of saying that God's goodness, God's gifts are readily available. He makes them available to all people in some ways. That, that simply, that there's a level of God's goodness that's available to everyone whether or not they've trusted God or not. It's part of God just being generous and good and gracious. And so everyone has some real degree of wisdom that does ultimately come from God, but that they've picked up in their life from their knowledge and their experience. And so this is the thing about human wisdom, the wisdom that you pick up in life that is available to everybody, is that it's basically experience-based. Human wisdom is basically experience-based. You get it from education, reading or talking to somebody, or you get it from experience, things that go well and things that go poorly. And that kind of wisdom, it's good, it's valuable, it's necessary. And it can help, genuinely help guide your life, guide the lives of other people. It's extremely valuable, but it is limited. This kind of wisdom has a ceiling. And it's limited because you're limited. Because you're finite. Because you're, you have capacity. There is a maximum amount. There's only so many books you can read, so many people you can talk to, so much time in a day, so many experiences that you can have. You can only be so wise. There is a ceiling to your wisdom. And there is a potential expiration date on this kind of wisdom. That this wisdom doesn't always last. There's no guarantee that the wisdom you pick up from experience will be true in all situations. Um, Bruce Waltke, who's a a commentator and a theologian, he says it this way, on account of their limited knowledge, engineers used to think damming up rivers was good. Now ecologists tell us that sometimes dams are bad. People used to think forest fires were always bad. Now horticulturists tell us they may be necessary. In other words, what we once thought was good and wise now turns out to be bad and foolish. And so, yeah, you can gather up wisdom in your life, but you need to know that it's limited and it's potentially faulty. There's probably a lot of things that we all in this room believe that in a hundred years our grandkids will think back and go, oh gosh, that's embarrassing that they said that or thought that or did that and that it's all online. Um, (laughs) It's probably coming for every one of us. And that's because that is an experience-based wisdom that we have that is not lasting and potentially faulty. But the wisdom that the Bible talks about is different. And quite frankly, it's supernatural. The wisdom that the Bible talks about is supernatural. 
And we know this in three ways. I'm going to just, to real briefly, three ways that we, we know that it's not the same kind of wisdom. First of all, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is not just described as something we go out and get and that we seek, but it's actually personified. And we see this throughout the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is actually working to draw people in. We tend to think about wisdom as something that I go out and get. The Bible says wisdom is going out to get you. Wisdom's calling out for you, that your wisdom is not something that you purchase with your time and effort, but actually something that calls out to you and draws you in. And so this is not the same way that we think about wisdom as people. But number two, we read in verses six and seven, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. So it's saying that biblical wisdom is generated, stored, and distributed by God. It's not something that you go out and get, but it's actually something that comes from God. This is different than the kind of wisdom that we're talking about. But a third point is uh, in Daniel 2, my, com- my community group is studying Daniel, and we talked about chapter 2 this Thursday. And there is a story of King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up one morning, and he's totally frightened because he had a dream. And he's totally anxious about it. He's totally... Um, scared about what he saw. And so he goes to his wise men and his counselors and he says, normally when I have a dream, I would tell you the dream and you would tell me the interpretation. But this time, I need to know that you're not just blowing smoke. I need to know that you're not telling me what I want to hear. So I need you to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation. And eventually they say, King, nobody can do that. That's impossible. And that's when Daniel raises his hand and says, I'll tell you the dream. And he doesn't even know the dream at that point. He just says, I'll tell you the dream. Let's, let's schedule some time together, Nebuchadnezzar. And so they do, and Daniel goes to his friends, and they pray. And it says that the, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night. And then Daniel, before he goes to see Nebuchadnezzar, prays a prayer of praise. And he says this. I don't know if this is on the screen or not. I told them very last minute that I wanted this. Oh, thank you, Taylor. Um... He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. And here it is. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And that should sound redundant. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The only way you can make sense of that is that he's talking about two different kinds of wisdom. Why would the wise need wisdom? Why would the full need food? It, they, they wouldn't. He's saying this is a different kind of wisdom that he's talking about. So here's the point. If you want true insight, real knowledge about life, actual deep skill with people and knowing how to function in the world, you need an understanding that is not limited by you, that is not finite like you, and will not expire. And you need access to a source of wisdom that is outside of you, that does not live within you, that is not a collection of your experiences. You need more than the typical wisdom of man. You need a supernatural wisdom. And so this is the wisdom that Proverbs talks about. But more than that, Proverbs 2 tells us about what that kind of wisdom does. How is it different? Is it just a quality and quantity thing? Like we're just talking about God has a lot more, you know, name brand versions of wisdom? Or are we talking about something different? And they they actually are different. They're different in action. Um, Because experiential human wisdom, it's a tool you purchase it with time and effort, and you can use it to, to create justice and righteousness and equity. Um, 
but supernatural godly wisdom, it's a gift. So let's reread Proverbs 2, 9 to 12. You can put this back up on the screen. Um, Starting in verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. You see, the wisdom that comes from God is actually a bodyguard. That's how it describes it. The wisdom that comes from God is a bodyguard. It protects you from evil. You know, if the wisdom of, human is a t- uh, of humanity is a tool, like a sword, then the wisdom of God is a master swordsman with a sword. It's a completely different kind of thing. The wisdom the Bible is talking about is a deliverer, a protector. Um, some of you know, may know uh, Adam Bailey. He is the Young Life coordinator at, uh, leader uh, at Young uh, Cosby. Um, high school, and he also works at City Church downtown, where he does music and youth stuff. I was talking to Adam, and he and his wife and some friends went to Egypt on a trip, and they booked the trip through a travel agency, and the travel agency, they didn't ask for this, they just said, oh, we're giving you a bodyguard. I'm like, what? I guess it's dangerous enough in Egypt, and it's in the travel agency's best interest that you don't die, and you leave a good review, um, that they just give you a bodyguard. They say, this is worth our time and our money. And uh, that kind of struck me as, you know, what a travel agency could do is say, here's some information and some resources about how to not get robbed. Don't put your money here. Don't talk to these kinds of people. Don't go into these places. Here's a knife. You know, those kinds of things, tools, resources to keep yourself out of danger. And that's like human wisdom. But the wisdom of God is a bodyguard. He embodies all of those things. He knows he's ready for any situation. This is the wisdom of God, is a bodyguard, a deliverer. And so that's the picture of wisdom in our lives. Proverbs is saying that the wisdom of God does not actually make you a wise person. The wisdom of God is wisdom for you. It is your wisdom. And we actually say this about righteousness. This is what the Bible says about righteousness. It talks about our righteousness in Christ being this is a theological term, an alien righteousness, that it sits outside of us. That actually Jesus Christ, when you trust him and give your life to him, he doesn't make you a perfect person. He actually is your perfection. He is your righteousness. And so that God actually looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ and he sees you as clean and washed because of Jesus Christ. Not that he has made you a perfect person now, but he is your righteousness. It's saying something very similar about wisdom. That God's wisdom does not make you wise, that God himself is your wisdom. He provides a protector. He provides wisdom to you. And so the wisdom of the Bible, it's more than good advice, good ideas. It is actually a protector. It's a person guarding you. And so now we get to this question, uh, how do I get this supernatural wisdom? How do I get it? How do I get that in my life? So let me reread Proverbs 2, the first, um, first five verses. We can put that back up on the screen. He says, My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So you catch that. It says, then you will understand. If you seek 
wisdom. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. If you seek wisdom, you treasure it up, what do you get? Not wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And we already know later on it says that wisdom will come into your heart. And so the order of events here is that if you seek wisdom, you get the fear of the Lord. And if you have the fear of the Lord, then wisdom enters into your life. And so how do we find wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the hinge. That's what it's telling us. So how do you get wisdom? You have to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Um, Fearing the Lord, um, you may have heard that expression a lot. It's in Proverbs 1. It's all throughout the book. You may have heard the expression, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's all throughout this book. Um, And a lot of times when people teach on this, they they will say, they basically try to water down the term fear. Like, it doesn't really mean fear. Um, it just means respect. Well, the, the, the word here, the Hebrew word, does mean fear. It means fear or terror or fear in a reverential sense, but it's fear. And so the right rendering of this word is fear. But now how do we understand that? And why is that a prerequisite to receiving wisdom? Well, I think there's basically two ways that we need to understand the fear of the Lord. We need to understand the fear of the Lord positionally and relationally. So one, positionally. I'll explain this with an illustration. Down on this side of the church, low parking lot, there is a chapel. Some of you may know this. Um, There's a trail that leads down to the chapel over there. Um, It's not super well used. Most of the time it's not super well maintained, but it is there. You're welcome to use it. Um, We're really waiting. Andrew says we're waiting for someone to give us a million dollars to build something really nice over there. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Um. But that chapel is down there, and it's not used very much by our church, and what has happened over time is that kids have found out, kids not in our church have found out that there's a kind of a secret place down there, and so kids will take alcohol and go down there and do stuff they're not supposed to do. And so Andrew, Andrew's office is right over here next to mine, and he has developed this spidey sense for figuring out when people are pulling into that parking lot and they're not supposed to be down there. And so one day I'm sitting in my office, and Andrew walks in, and he looks out the window, he's like, I think these kids are trying to sneak down there. I think they've got some alcohol. And sure enough, we're watching them, and they're kind of looking around and sticking stuff in their backpack, and they start walking down. Andrew says, I'm going to go talk to them. So he goes out, he opens the door, he says, Hey, guys, how's it going? What you doing? And they're like, um, We're going down to the water. It's really nice down there. You know, whatever. And he's like, Oh, okay, because sometimes kids sneak down there, and they're doing stuff they're not supposed to do, and we have to call the cops on them because it leaves a mess, and it's a real headache for us. So... Yeah. They turned around and they walked away. <laughs> um, and so I, I tell that story to say that these, these boys were about to do something illegal, not on their property, while somebody knew exactly what was going on. And so they were intent on making a pretty foolish decision. They probably wouldn't have called it foolish, but they, they were making a foolish decision. But once they realized their position, they couldn't help but make a wise choice. So once they realize that there is somebody here who has authority, who knows that I'm doing something wrong in the wrong place, I know that I'm actually in a position that I am doing something quite foolish. You can't help but make a wise choice. This is the same is true for us in God. To make a truly wise choice, we need to have a sense of our position. To have a sense of our finitude and our limitedness and our fallenness and God's magnitude. And so the fear of the Lord says something about our position It's a recognition of our lowliness and of God's magnitude. And so that's the first thing. We need to understand the fear of the Lord positionally. But second, we need to understand it relationally. Because the fear of the Lord, because the fearing the Lord leads to wisdom entering your heart. And that's what it says. 
You seek wisdom, you get the fear of the Lord, it enters your heart. So the fear of the Lord cannot just be positional. There, it must be about a relationship because wisdom comes to you. And so how do we know that and why is that? How is the fear of the Lord actually an invitation into relationship? Let me read you another place in Scripture where the, the term fear, uh, the same word for fear, is used. Um, you may have heard this passage read several times recently based on the Supreme Court ruling um, in the last few weeks. Is, um, this is a very relevant passage, and, and rightfully so. So um, Psalm 139, starting verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So what's the psalmist saying? He's recognizing the position. He's saying, God, you are far above me. You are of a whole different, you are in a whole different class than me. And yet, I can't escape you. You are so much more magnificent than me. And I am so lowly, and yet I can't get rid of you. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go all the way to hell, you're there. You, you follow me everywhere. I can't escape you. You know what I'm going to say, and you still come after me. I cannot avoid you. Even when I was an unconscious baby in the womb, you knew me. And you knew my frame and my thoughts I cannot escape you, God. So what kind of God has infinite wisdom and authority and then uses that wisdom and authority to pursue fools, to pursue people who are beneath him and know them at their most intimate level? The only answer is a God who loves you. The only answer is a God who wants a relationship with you, who wants to know you. This is the kind of wisdom and the kind of love, this kind of wisdom and this kind of love, it's so rich, so generous, so foreign to us that it's frightening. A God who is this far above us, who we cannot be rid of, who pursues us endlessly around the world. What kind of God is that? It's a God who wants to know you. It's a God who wants a relationship with you. So you and I, we're we're incapable of finding godly wisdom on our own. And that realization should drive you to the realization that there's only one truly wise God and that every single one of us is a fool. And once you understand that the Bible tells us that a wise God stepped down into the world, a broken world to die for fools, that should cause fear 
We should be fearful of that. Because what kind of God would lay his life, lay down his wisdom for the sake of foolish people? A God who loves you. See, the fear of the Lord has to be an invitation into a personal relationship with God because there's no other way to make sense of a God who embodies wisdom fully for people who cannot handle their own wisdom. How can a perfect and wise God defend evil fools? Only a God who loves fools. Um, in The Hobbit, which is my favorite um, Lord, of the Rings book, Lord of the Rings book. Is that how you say that? Anyway. Um, there's a part of The Hobbit where the dwarves and Bilbo have to go through Mirkwood Forest, an enchanted forest. It's very dangerous. And um, Gandalf has to leave. He can't go with them. But he says there's a path through the woods. It's a magical path. If you stay on it, uh, you, you will be fine. Nothing can get at you. The elves built this path, and so you'll be fine. Just stay on the path. It's a dangerous forest. Don't leave the path. And then he leaves, and the dwarves and Bilbo go in. And they quickly find the path is really, really narrow. They start, the, the light goes out very early on. They start to feel claustrophobic. Um, they start seeing the eyes and sounds of creatures on the side of the path looking in at them. And they're like, we can't stay here. The, the boat that they need to get across a certain part isn't in the right place. And eventually they get hungry and they go off into the forest. And some giant spiders capture them. And um, just as the dwarves are about to be eaten and killed, um, Bilbo, who is picked by Gandalf, um, distracts the spiders, cuts the dwarves loose, and um, saves them. And so we have a God who has instructed us, don't leave the path. Stay on the path. Stay in wisdom knowing full well that we will not stay on the path, that we will leave the path. We will get distracted and scared, and we will leave it. And yet, he has handpicked a protector, a deliverer, to save us. What kind of God does that? Only a God who loves you, a God who wants to know you, a God who wants a relationship with you. So do you desire wisdom? I think we all do. Do you desire real wisdom, true wisdom? Then first look at your relationship with God. Do you have one? Do you have a relationship with God? Is he an object or is he a person to you? Have you embraced the help of Jesus Christ? Have you admitted your finitude and God's magnitude? That's the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts, a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that? And if you don't, would you talk to someone? Would you talk to the friend who invited you? Would you talk to Brian? Talk to me. Talk to Andrew. Talk to an elder. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you want any hope of living a wise life. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the book of Proverbs and that it is not just a book of wise sayings that will help us navigate tricky situations, although it is that. Um, God, we're grateful that your word points us to you, points us to a relationship with you. Um, God, I ask that all of us in this room would desire deeply to know you because you desire to know us deeply. Um, 
So Lord, would you come into our lives? Would, would, we, would everyone in this room seek you? And would therefore they fear you? And therefore, would you come into their lives? So Lord, we, I just ask that um, each of us fears you and seeks a relationship with you. And God, that we will receive the protection and the deliverance of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.